This is a Pele Media Podcast. Welcome back to Jurassic Park Minute. Jurassic Park Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1993 film Jurassic Park Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And Brady, I have a question to ask you. What is your favorite shoegaze album from the early 90s? Oh, I'm going to have to say My Bloody Valentine's. I don't know the names of any of their albums. Damn. Probably Loveless, uh, I would probably assume that that's Loveless that's was classic. Is. Yeah, Loveless, yeah, I think, you? actually came out. It might have come out the same year as Jurassic Park or the year after that, which is uh, kind of funny timing. But the reason I ask that is just because on the Facebook group we belong to that uh, talks about Movies by Minute podcast, recently in the Star Wars Minute podcast, they mentioned My Bloody Valentine's Loveless and did an entire episode about it. And I mentioned on there wow. that you and I would spend a few seconds of this show talking about our favorite <laughs> shoegaze albums. I have no idea how shoegaze music was around when it was around. I mean, it's 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 sounds like it's beyond everything we're listening to right now, yeah. much less in the 80s and 90s. It was way ahead of its time, and a lot of like electronic uh, shoegaze that's out now is 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 just I, I love it. The, the, the stuff that came out in like 1993, Loveless sounds like it could have been recorded today, and it would, still would be ahead of its time, you know. But it's 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 crazy that there's like space rock albums out there that are. Yeah, you know what? Let's let's get on to the show. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about dinosaurs. How about that? Yeah, please. In the previous minute, we saw Grant and the kids approach a tall, electrified fence. After discovering that the fence had no power to it, Grant looked for a way through the fence. As the minute ended, the trio heard the roar of a dinosaur in the distance. At minute number 101, Grant and the kids look off into the direction of the dinosaur roar, which they had just heard. Tim and Lex run towards Grant and jump onto the concrete riser where he is standing. The three then begin to climb the fence to escape whatever they just heard. At minute number 101, 10 seconds, we cut back to Ellie walking through the darkly lit utility bunker. Ellie comes to a dead end with a large yellow pipe running from ceiling to floor. Ellie tells Hammond that she has hit a dead end. At minute number 101, 18 seconds, we cut back to the safety bunker where Hammond and Malcolm are looking at blueprints. Hammond says, wait a minute. Malcolm rubs his eyes. Hammond then tells Ellie that she should have made a right turn somewhere behind her. Malcolm takes the walkie-talkie away from Hammond and tells Ellie to look above her. At minute 101, 26 seconds, we cut back to Ellie in the shed. She looks up and shines her light on a series of large, thick cables running along the ceiling. Malcolm's voice can be heard over the radio. He tells her that there should be a bundle of cables and pipes running in the same direction. Malcolm tells her to follow that. At minute 101, 34 seconds, Ellie follows the pipes through the shed. At minute number 101, 38 seconds, we cut back to a shot of Lex, Tim, and Grant climbing the electric fence. Lex tells Tim that she thinks she can climb over the fence before he could. Tim asks her what she would give him if he beat her. She says, respect. Grant tells him that it is not a race. At minute 101, 48 seconds, we cut back to an inside shot of the shed where Ellie has followed the pipes to their endpoint. She tells Malcolm that she sees the box and runs into a gated room that contains the power conduit. Ellie identifies the box as having a sign that says high voltage and opens it up. And thus ends minute number 101 of Jurassic Park. 
so yeah, we were talking about the editing that's going on, and we have a continuation of that here, where you know things the the sequence, how long each uh, each shot is, is getting sped up a little bit. Is like what's going on to it. We have, I think, most of these are just like like one shot segments that we're cutting between. So we've got like Malcolm and Hammond, uh, you know, complaining or like you know not working well with each other in the emergency <laughs> bunker, and then it'll cut over. That'll be like one straight shot, and then it'll cut over to Ellie who's walking down, you know, looking for power lines and stuff like that. And I think they're one of those might be in between two different shots, but um, yeah, we've got uh, Tim and Lex and Grant climbing that fence and we know that something's about to go very bad on that fence. You know, their timing getting on this fence and trying to climb over. It could not be any worse, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, and right at the top of the minute, um, whenever they're kind of debating if they're going to go over the fence or whatever, they hear the T-Rex roar way off in the distance. I mean, miles away and they turn around and then they look at each other and they're like, Oh crap, we got to get out of here. And, for so long, I was like, that's ridiculous. That thing is clearly miles away from them. It could do no harm. But then, you know, I started thinking about it. And I'm like, these kids are so just, you know, mortified at this. Mortified is not really the right word. Um, they're just so scarred from the experience that they've had. That sound. Traumatized, that, yeah. Traumatized. That alien sound that they've listened to. They've had, you know, coming down right on top of them, trying to eat them uh, when, it, when they're stuck in the car. Just imagine, you know, having your eardrums blown out by that sound and what you can attribute it to. And then you hear it from, it doesn't matter if it's right next to you or, you know, a couple miles away, just what that's going to do to your psyche, the images it's going to bring up and everything. And uh, so and now it makes perfect sense that it doesn't matter how far away it is. It's going to make them run. So, yeah, it's yeah. A, and, it's you know, a, they don't have any other way to get around the fence. They might as well start climbing right here, you know. So it's better to, I guess, yeah. be on that fence than, you know, and have the Tyrannosaurus Rex a mile away than be, you know, further down the fence and have it on your, you know, coming up on you pretty fast. Yeah. But it's yeah, beautiful. I would agree with you. I think that they probably had a little bit of time to, you know, think about how to do this. Yeah. Uh, it's a, such a beautiful location. I, I didn't get a chance to look into where that is. There, It looks like they're in a canyon or something. Um, yeah. But... You know, I don't know if you've ever seen behind the scenes pictures of this set, but obviously this fence does not stretch, you know, and just keep going. Right. It's cut off by, I don't know, maybe like 50 feet on either end. And I cannot shake that image out of my head when I watch this scene. So I always want to say, I always see the open ends of it. I'm like, can't they just walk around to the other side? Yeah. So yeah, I was pissed off that I saw when they were that. climbing the fence, how they did the um, safety for this. If, uh, you know, they were clearly, they were not, you know, 30, 50 feet off the ground climbing the fence. It probably was more like, you know, two or three feet off the ground. But, you know, still, even if you have an actor up on a wire like that, they could fall and easily break an arm, you know, or break their neck even. Uh, so you got to be careful with that. So I'm curious if if they had some sort of, like, safety mat behind them for them to find. I would assume that they did, you know. But we have this uh, really cool shot here of them climbing the fence. And, again, the cinematography around the fence is really is is really something else. It's, uh, you know, we had that pullback yeah. shot last week. I think tomorrow we have the shot where it actually goes underneath the fence. And uh, this one, we have the shot where Grant is, uh, you know, trying to calm the kids down. Here they are. They had the Tyrannosaurus Rex just roar. And then uh, Lex wants to start trying to make it a competition with Tim as they're climbing the fence. So Mm -hmm. uh, nothing like an older sibling to try to, like, you know, uh, poke fun in an emergency situation at a younger sibling. And, you know, I tell you, they could they could hit fit through those those holes in the fence. Yeah, I think the two of them probably would have been able to. You know, yeah. And I, I anytime I think that I'm like, shut up. It's a it's. Part of the story that they're not able to just get past yeah. that, and it's kind of a stretch that you have to tell yourself that. But you know, whatever. again, they, I, you know, I think the risk of the the, the fight or flight kicked in, 
And the idea of having, you know, your front half through the fence and then the Tyrannosaurus Rex comes back and true, you have, to have your butt and your legs sticking out. They could just easily snack on half of you and then you'd be half a man and that wouldn't be any good. So, you know, I think probably yeah. in this situation, you know, them not knowing about the electricity climbing the fence really probably was the best option for them. So, yeah. So you've been talking a lot about the editing and how we're intercutting between three different situations here, yeah. uh, between Ellie trying to throw the power back on Malcolm and John, you know, trying to understand the schematic and then the kids and Grant going up the fence who don't really understand that there's any trouble uh, because they're just being so casual and joking with each other, you know, like, what are you going to give me if I get to the top first and all that. Um, but as these cuts get quicker and quicker, quicker and quicker, uh, the music amps up even more and more and more. So yeah. it's, I just love the fact that uh, John Williams score is doing so much here along with the editing. So I think this is really some of the best tension in the, in the entire movie is these, these couple of minutes in a movie filled with tension. This is some of the best in it. You're absolutely right. You know, um, it's, it's funny because, you know, we don't have it, when, during the Tyrannosaurus Rex stuff, we didn't have any music. We just had the ambient sound of the rain hitting the car and maybe the thunder every now and then the Tyrannosaurus Rex roaring. But this yeah. one, you know, we don't have that, um, uh, uh, asset here of the Tyrannosaurus Rex. So we have a score that's underlying everything. And I would mm-hmm. agree with you. I think that this is, is some pretty good work. I, I think my favorite part of the score is probably still when Nidri is stealing the embryos. I yeah. kind of like that uh, jungly spy type theme thing that they have going on. <laughs> but this stuff is, uh, is, is pretty great as well. Yeah. Okay, so there's something else. Uh, later on in the movie, we see that John has left the freezer door open. And Tim is able to get up and run to that. And for some reason, that, that comes to mind whenever Ellie sees that the gate to the shed is still open. Ray left it open behind himself. And then when she goes in, you know, into the shed and sees that the gate to the little area with the, the uh, electrical box is still open. And then the box is still closed. So we know that that is as far as Ray got before he got attacked. He was able to get that gate open, but not make it to the electrical box. So we know that somewhere in that like five feet, he got eaten. That's where she is standing right now. So we know that there is whatever it was that got rid of him is in her immediate vicinity. And that ain't good. I was thinking about that as well, that she doesn't have any Mm -hmm. keys or anything when she gets in there. You know, an electrical box like that is probably going to be locked. So, you know, that that is a very foreboding thing that, you know, that's as far as Ray got. And, of course, we find out in a few minutes, you know, that this Ray Ray is still there in some capacity. Yeah, Yeah, he's he's not in one spot. He is in several. (laughs) So... Uh, minute 101. That is all that I've got for it. That is all you? I have for minute 101 as well. Uh, again, this is uh, some some pretty high tension stuff. A lot of editing that uh, really kind of underscores everything, and uh, that's probably what we're going to be talking about again tomorrow. Because through the uh, movie magic of uh, editing, we kind of get uh, all the tension here. So, some really great stuff. All right. Well, I am ready to get out of here. If you are, Brady. Yep. Let's go ahead and do that. And we'll be back again tomorrow for minute number 102. I am Kyle. I'm Brady. And until next time, hold on to your butts. Jurassic Park Minute is a fan-supported podcast. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at JurassicParkMinute at gmail.com and visit us online at JurassicParkMinute.com, Facebook.com slash JurassicParkMinute, and Twitter.com slash JurassicMinute.
You've been listening to a Pele Media Podcast. For premium content and exclusive podcasts, visit us at patreon.com slash Media. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media, and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Media. Yeah.